Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody. It's Bob again, and I've got First Fast Fearless, How to Lead Like a Navy SEAL. I've got Brian Iron Ed Heiner with me today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'm sure everybody's questioning, what does a Navy SEAL have to do with business? It's everything. I mean, it's leading under stress and adversity. You know, in the book, I talk about it. And it's a bestseller, by the way. Just want to say. But in the book, we, we work on volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, right? Chaos is what it ultimately is. And every business is facing the same things. Cutting money, people leaving, coming in organization, technology changes. You know, it's a lot of chaos. And how do you lead through that chaos? Not just manage it, but how do you lead the people through the chaos? So it, it's all the same thing. Humans are humans. 99.9% of us are exactly the same. So we all have the same issues. And just and, and through the book, I'll talk about those issues, and it's resonating pretty well with, really well with the businesses that I'm working with right now. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think there was a military guy that said the best laid plans change as soon as the first fire uh, shot is fired, and it's the ability to evolve and change as um, you need to make tactical decisions. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of times... Uh, when dealing with business business situations, you have to consider it on a, on a very tactical level. What can we do today to deal with this this crisis? And then what can we change in the organization tomorrow so we don't have this crisis in the future? Right. That's right. Well, yeah. when that, that first, first shot is fired, of course, everything does change. But really good organizations have contingency plans, and they understand, okay, the shot's fired. But if you back that up throughout the organization, like in the military, we breed extreme accountability, extreme ownership of the outcome. Whereas our commanders, our leaders, let everyone from the you know the bottom man to the top know exactly what the mission looks like. And I talked throughout the book about leaders' intent, what the purpose is, the key tasks you have to do, and what's the end state look like. So when those shots are fired, you know where you need to go. And even in business, you know, if the people understand exactly where the company needs to go and things shift a little bit here and there, they know the right answer. But we build that on trust and we build on accountability, extreme accountability. And that's one of the things that most companies that I'm working with right now are trying to get their heads around is how to build an organization, a company that understands the extreme ownership of the outcome. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's probably one of the fundamental things that's wrong with 99.99% of all businesses out there is a lack of communication, a lack of vision, and then a lack of a plan that will get you towards your vision. Not to your vision, but just towards the vision would be good enough. And there's too many entrepreneurs out there that are just flying by the seat of their pants and making willy-nilly decisions, wasting a tremendous amount tremendous amount of time for their employees or frustrating their employees to the point where they leave and cripple the company. Right. Yeah, that happens quite <laughs> often. You know, they get over their head really quick and they don't get the right people around them. You can't do it all yourself. You know, that's 
we we learned that really quickly in the military. You know, recruit the best people you can. Yeah, always hire a ten, never hire That's a it. two. <laughs> hire as best you can. But hire, you know, we always say hire. We'll hire an eight or a seven, as long as we can trust them with our life. And trust is a big thing when it comes to you know to military and, and business too. I mean, you you trust that that person will give every single bit of his effort to get it, what it needs to be done done. And that's that extreme ownership, that accountability to work with companies for. So you were in the military. You've done your thing. You, you, you've trained people. You come out of the military. You're starting to help uh, businesses excel and, and, and understand that they have to be accountable and all the things that you're going to teach them. So why did you decide that this book was important to write now? Well, that was my life, uh, kind of one of my life's visions. I'm like, you know, everything... You, know, you figure you go to war for so long. You do all these things. What good comes out of it? A lot of technology comes from war, as we know. But a lot of things when you learn under extreme circumstances, under, under extreme conditions, you learn the really some of the most precious lessons that you can learn. And I thought that would be something to pass on. And I'm not, I, I've seen the lacking of it. Everyone I talk to, and I've worked with the Kim Blanchard Company for a while, and just, just listening to what people are saying, it's not their skills, it's not their intelligence, it's their interpersonal leadership skills. You've got your book. It, it, it's, um, it's broken into three sections. What section do you think they could jump into first, or do they kind of have to read the book from, from cover to cover? Well, you can jump in and out. Uh, I wrote it that way. You can. There's lessons. We call them maxims throughout the book. There's hundreds of them just little things, ideas that you can look through. They're highlighted. But really, every time I talk to people and I do consulting work or whatever I do, I, the first thing I want to talk, you know, a lot of people go, well, I want you to fix my team. And I'm like, okay, before we start talking about your team, let's talk about you. What can you change today that will help your team change? You know, because it all starts with, it starts with the leadership, the higher I can connect with the better it is because that is that sets the tone, the boss, the leader, whatever you want to call it. So, and it's often hard because a lot of these executives they're like, no, I know what I know, I'm good. I'm like, well, you can be better. And if you're not getting results that you want, because leadership is really about getting people to want to and to be able to do something important. And if you're not getting results, you know, do you, I ask them, I mean, do do you want to be right in the boardroom or do you want to be effective and successful? Because a lot of guys get their, you know, this is my idea and this is my way or the highway. And like, well, it's not working. Mm. <laughs> so if you can't make an adjustment as a leader and you can't make an adjustment in your personality, find out what you're doing wrong, then you have not explored yourself enough. So that I think everyone should start with themselves. Um, and to, to build effective teams, because it really all kind of connects together. When people see that you are selfless, that you're looking after the mission and the men first, and I say men just because we don't have women in the SEALs right now, but, you know, the mission of men and then me is my philosophy. So when everyone below you understands that is your goal, even if you're making a bad decision, they understand you still have their best interest in mind, and they can follow you, and that's where you build your teams. And that's that trust. That's a trust issue that keeps flowing through the organization. And if you're not, if you've been a jackass and you're, self-serving and looking after yourself and protecting yourself and blah, it will, it resonates. Everyone knows it. And you'll never get that 100%. You'll never get that full engagement you want from people. So every leader, every leader should start with themselves. 
Well, it's almost like if you you have to uh, deconstruct your ego and understand it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having an ego. That's sometimes what drives the entrepreneur. But you have to understand that that you have to be consciously aware of. You have to be in the moment, and a lot of people aren't. But you always want to cause and effect. I always think every time I'm doing something, I think, you know, the cause and effect. What do I? What's the effect that I want? You know, do I want my ego to be out there throwing around ideas and people rolling their eyes, or do I want them to get on board with some kind of plan? So it's cause and effect. That's all it is. You're always looking to get the effect that you want. Now, you know, it's interesting because cause and effect is, is used in marketing a lot where you put out a, a particular ad or a particular headline and then you do an A-B test and make sure that everything is working and based on the results, you move forward. So it seems to me that's a very similar type of approach where instead of just pushing in one direction uh, without thinking, you're, you're pushing a little bit and then analyzing and discussing and then seeing are we moving in the right direction, then moving a little bit more forward. Is it like that? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Because leadership is a very personal personal thing. As much as people are, well, it's just business. It's not just business. It's very personal. It's people's livelihood. People have lives. They spend most of their life at work. So it's extremely personal. And we all know that people hold grudges. They get upset. They get offended. You know, all those things. So it is. It, leadership is very personal. And, you know, a lot of studies have shown at, at the higher levels, um, that emotional intelligence, you know, for lack of a better word, is one of the highest uh, skills that executives need. They need to be able to balance that room and understand those things. And it's a very, very hard thing to do, too. I mean, it's the ability to, you know, be in a room and be selfless, but also be strong enough to shout somebody down if they're disruptive or they're counterproductive. Right. There's a balance, but most people understand that. Mm. Do you feel that um, one of the core disciplines of, of a great leader is their, their ability to understand communication and use it as a tool? That is a huge part of it. Because if you can't communicate, I mean, that's a major, major part of it, and we work on communication all the time. You know, even in the book I talk about, you know, learn to public speak. Even if you hate it, get up and do it. You know, learn to write good emails. Learn to, you know pre-planned conversations so that you say the right things. So communication is critical. And in the SEAL teams, we constantly communicate, and it's a fun, especially from the top down, is to give, and what I call it in the book, is leaders' intentions. It's one thing to give orders and missions and all those things, but you, you need to paint that picture for your subordinates. To, so when they get in that, that VUCA world, that fog of war, they understand what the outcome is so they can make decisions on the ground they know what you want from them it's not just you know go out and do this mission it's here's the outcome i'm looking for the effect that i want to happen on the battlefield or whatever we're doing so they can make put you know their, their discretion into their thinking process well and i, I want to, to ask you a little bit about um the day of a, a seal team member it's not all jumping out of planes and and on mission and and shooting guns and and explosions, I would say that was probably a very small percentage of of their their life. I would like to know what is a SEAL team member doing ninety five percent of the time. Well, actually, you you were wrong on that. Ninety five ninety five percent. Like if you look at a you know thirty year old SEAL right now that's in a SEAL platoon, uh, we only have three hundred sixty five days in a year, so we have to limit 
some of the mission sets you know we train to but they train all every every single day all the way up to deployment and then they fight and they come back and they do the same thing so because our, our mission sets you know sea air and land seal um you know, we might spend two months swimming under the ocean, underwater, in the ocean, plant explosives, learning how to do stuff, submarines, those type of things. We might spend two months jumping out of planes, learning how to fight from the sky, and then boating and land warfare, building assaults. So it is, it is a very long year before you deploy. Long process. But that's all so training. That's it's that, all training. Right. So, so maybe the, the the point I'm trying to make is that in business. You know, if you bring a new person into the team, that person should be spending 99.9% of their time training and not just throw it in a desk and say, oh, here's the projects we're in, figure it out. <laughs> well, they have to figure Well, I don't, I don't think they can afford to, to do that. Mm. You know, but there does need to be training. And one of the things that a lot of these companies even talk to me about, like, you know, about leadership training, is like, well, we're just too busy to do that. I'm like, well, that's the time you actually need it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm too busy to plan a mission. Well, that's the time you need to plan it. You got to you got to chisel away time, and you actually have to do train people, um, not as much as we do, because we we have you know, our our mission goes, our charter is go anywhere, anytime, and do anything. So, but yeah, yeah, each company needs to train their people. They need to invest in that because they're going to get the dividends on the end. And if they don't have time to train because they're swamped with too much work and putting out fires, that obviously means that they have to find the time to do some serious training or they're never going to get out of that cycle. That's right. We do the same thing. Sometimes when we were, you know, we were in three wars, most people don't know this, but at one time we were Iraq, Afghanistan, we were heavily involved in the southern Philippines. And so we were all over the globe, not counting Africa. We were just, anyone... Everyone was gone all the time, but we, we took the time to pull people together for like a week-long meeting. Off-sites, we did certain things to get certain things captured. It's like, we'll just let other things suffer for a while because it is that important. It's that important that we understand certain things. Well, and then, you know, and I think make a key point there is the ability for an organization to understand that not everything has the same priority. And, and you have to, you know look at your organization as, okay, the, these three things are critical to our mission or, and our survival rate, but these 52 other things we're doing aren't really that critical. And that's where you find your time. That's, that's, that, and that's how we, exactly how we label them. You know, we label them critical, you know, essential, enhancing. You know? So we, we label the first you know, five tasks, this is critical. Life or death means it. We get those done. Everything else... It can get done. Hopefully, we can get it done, but it doesn't have to get done. So we put our effort in those efforts. And I talked to companies about that too. A lot of I just did a thing with the Los Angeles school systems. So you know, the colleges, all the presidents and the uh, chancellor. And they're, you know, they're getting pulled from every side of the world. They're like politics, teachers, schools, you know, money, blah blah blah. Well, you have to prioritize. They're like, yeah, but a thousand things are important. Like, well, if you don't prioritize. You'll never be effective. Yeah. If you just keep, you know, kicking the can down the road, hanging on, you're never going to go anywhere. So you have to put number one, number two, number three, and that takes all day sometimes to fight it out, to, you know, to come to an agreement. 
but it's important. I've had great leaders during the heights of wars said, here's four things we're going to do, fellas. Everything else, if you can get it done, do it, but focus your effort on these four things. Uh, do you think organizations are suffering because their leaders can't let go and tend to micromanage? And uh, also uh, another big thing that a lot of leaders have is they get pissed off if the person gets the thing done that they need to get done but didn't do it their way. Very common. Uh, I coach I coach people on this all the time, and I call it the 80% solution. You know, because what they, what they do, most people don't know how to delegate. You know, delegate's not just firing off an email and saying, I need you to have this project done by this time. Delegate is, you know, you, when I delegate something, I send my intentions, which is a detailed one-page, here's what the, the victory looks like, here's what the end state looks like, here's the purpose of what you're doing, and here's the framework of what I want you to work in. And then along the way, I send guidance to them, making sure they understand where they stay. Um, so people that people that d d have that micromanagement and, uh, tendency, and I run into it all the time, coaching, <laughs> is that they don't trust people because they want they they have a vision in their head. They say this project should look like this, you know, even down to the font size of the PowerPoint. You know, but I'm like, does that matter to the accomplishment of the job? It doesn't. But it does to the person that you're you're leading because you you start to steal their empowerment when you nickel and dime them like that. You know, good enough is good enough. So whatever's in your head of the leader is never going to be you're never going to see someone send a project to you the way you see it. You have to accept that. Well, the ability to let go, and once again, it goes back to ego. It's like, look at get rid of your damn ego, um, and have an idea of what you need done. I think that the problem with a lot of leaders that can't do that, they're spending so much time doing other people's job that they're not actually doing their job and hurting the company a lot more than that person screwing up on something you assigned them to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a wasted position. It makes them feel good. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't it doesn't move anything forward and it doesn't help the company. So in the long run it's not a good not a good strategy. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, that last thing that you mentioned about about intention and you know this is what the victory is and and this is how I want you to do it and this is how I and then just touch on the the managing of it but when you are in seal training how do they do that for people that don't get it people that tend like commanders or people that are put into position uh, a command position that micromanage too much are is it a disciplinary thing, or is it a breakdown, or, or is is something you learn in boot camp, and then it just becomes part of the lifestyle? It's part of the lifestyle. Um, you know, we're outnumbered, so to speak, officers versus enlisted. And uh, in the very beginning of SEAL, you know, basic on a lot of demolition SEAL training, BUDS is what we call it, um, we start the foundation for all of, all of these lessons, you know, accountability, no matter what happen the officers get punished no matter what happens you know we hold them accountable all the time there's three excuses we'll let it we'll let a student say and i'll be very polite on the radio it's yes no and politically correct correct i messed up right? <laughs> did you accomplish your task and there's three things he says and, and there's a reason for that we understand there are excuses and all that but excuses slows down the process of success and when you allow that to creep into organizations, finger-pointing, all that nonsense, it will not help the mission. So we have a saying. We say, you know, 
no one will ever care about our excuses if we fail a mission. Right? History doesn't care. You know, if we, you know, the Bin Laden mission, that whole thing went down. Yep, helicopter crashed, doors are bigger than we thought, blah, blah. All those things happened. But if it would have been a failure mission, would anyone have cared? No, they wouldn't. The fact is, it would have been a failure. So excuses breeds failure. We don't allow that. So we start all those type of lessons off early on. And as far as intentions goes, it is part of the culture from when at the end of every meeting, and we, we force the enlisted people, our subordinates, we give them 10 minutes, basically. Like, what do you need from me? And they're very forceful. They're like, I need your intent on what we're doing here. Give me the purpose. Give me my, my limitations and tell me what it's going to look like when I'm finished. I'm like, okay, I owe you that. So delegation is a very proactive thing in the field teams, and it should be in every business. It's not just fire and forget. And, hey, did you get the project done? You have to be a part of it, and you have to give information to the people that are doing the job. That's, you know, what you just described there. A couple of things come up that I think very, very interesting. Is like, number one, how many employees do you know that feel empowered enough and not terrified enough that a boss comes in, he says, okay, tell me what's wrong or tell me what you need, and I'll make that happen. A lot of them aren't prepared for that, so it, it – the manager has to train his employees to train, and it goes all the way down, all the way down to the guy that's, let's say, if you had a flower company, the guy that's got the flower truck delivery, he has to know everything or be trained at the same level of, of expertise, uh, maybe the expertise is the wrong word, but, but at least the strategical thinking that the commander or the CEO of that company um, has, or it kind of breaks down all the way down, down the chain. Absolutely, and the great companies can do this. And the great companies will open up and give their philosophy. And one of the first things I do with all the companies I work with, I might, I'll ask the CEO or his vice president, whoever I'm working with, give me your leadership philosophy. Tell me, tell, tell me what it is. He's like, what do you mean? Like, tell me what it is. He's never done it. Most of them have never done that. So it's one of the exercises. Let's write a, you know, one page. It doesn't have to be much. And then have that philosophy. You'll learn a lot about yourself and then pass it down. Go to your manager and say, this is how it's done. This is how I'm going to act to you. How, here's what I expect from you. You expect from me. And that's a great exercise to move all the way up and down the company and to be respectful but also realize that not to be fearful of your boss. You set up the conditions where the boss makes it a point to go, I want from you. Tell me what you need from me. And then, you know, but then then he can hear from the boss, and if the boss can correct him right there, and he goes, okay, I I was just, uh, Friday, I was just doing monies, and, you know, one of their uh, employees to the owner of the company brought up something that he'd been thinking about for a long time, but at that moment, the the president, the the owner, was able to tell him why that couldn't happen, and he'd never been able to tell him that before, and the guy was like, oh, okay. So opening up that information, letting people share the information, they understand why things happen, because why is a big thing, you know, so they're not sitting around the water cooler making up, you know, rumor meals. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think if there's, a, if there's an information void, people fill it up with BS. Yeah. They will fill it. They will make up a story. Yep. 
because that's just human nature. So just you're not being clever at, uh, as a manager or a runner of a company um, by keeping secrets. I, I work for an amazing company, and every month we would get, or maybe it was every week. I think it was every week. Everybody in the company got a call um, around 3 or 4 in the morning by the president or the CEO of the company, and he left everybody a message on their phone. So you come in on that one day, and everybody's phones were blinking. And he gave a five-minute informational thing about what's going on in the industry on his level. These are the things I'm dealing with, and this is what we're doing. And then he basically expected you to think about where he is, and then what can I do today in my little cubicle to help him move in that direction? That's my job. That's exactly right. And that's, that's a kind of a new thought process in the future. I don't know if you know Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal. No, I not personally. With him. Well, he was he ran um, Afghanistan. He was he ended up resigning because some of the things his staff said about the Obama administration. But he was one of those leaders that everyone followed. Where he would move a place, they would transfer to follow him, and he was very open. He stopped all the military bullshit. Excuse my language, but he. We used to have video teleconferences where anywhere in the world, I mean, they're secret, but anyone in the world that had that classification could listen to the highest level meetings going on. So you could be like, wow, okay, now I know why they're making me do this, 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 this. Okay, you know, you put it in context. Yeah, it makes it very motivational, and then you feel that you have ownership of it. It's not you're just an, an unappreciated cog in a massive wheel. And, you know, his intent, you know, okay, he wants to win over the population and do this so we can move forward with this, not just kill people. So it, you know, it made clear guidance. He was very big on that, opening up everything. Everyone that's in it, obviously, with as a clearance, should hear all the stuff that goes on. So they, on the battlefield, can make the right decision. That was his intention. And that's why I use leaders' intent in the book. It's like that's how you expose people to the bottom level. Of, you know, they're not just building widgets. <laughs> they're like, why am I just doing hammering this widget? Like, well, you're not just hammering a widget. Here's what you're doing. Yeah, everybody's do it, got an important role. And, and you know, you, you look at how much time you spend uh, in your life at work, tremendous amount of time, and that's a, that's a huge sacrifice that everybody makes for – their life because that's what makes the society move forward so for gosh sakes you should at least be respecting that person that's given up that much of their life to get you know they're not there just to get paid they're they're there to be get paid of course but also to be respected and have the opportunity to give creative input and to grow as a human being and if you don't supply that in your company then you're really not uh you're not doing an ethical or humane thing. It's a meaningful life. It's your life's work. And I, t- I talk to people about this all the time. And I don't get religious with them, but I'm like, that, in a sense, is your temple. All the good things you do in your life, it happens right there. A lot of it does. You know, and, and you won't remember five years from now what uh, you know, financial problem you were working on. But you will always remember how the people treated you. And you'll always remember the teamwork and all that stuff because, you know, people ask me, I was like, what do you miss about being a SEAL? Because just last week I was inducted to the – I went, flew back to Virginia, was inducted to the High School Hall of Fame, and, you know, it was pretty cool. And they asked me, they're like, what do you miss about being a SEAL? I'm like, well, you know, it's 
complicated question because being a SEAL normally means I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm miserable, <laughs> I'm getting shot at, I'm hungry, it's hot, I'm carrying way too much equipment, I'm sleeping on the ground, you know, go on and on. But the question is, the answer is, I miss everything about it because it's the brotherhood. It's that, that, that connection you make with people because I tell you, when people are working and they get in a rhythm and the company gets in a the rhythm, they feel trusted, they feel like the company's taking care of them and you know, they're, they're respected and all those things, they will bust their butt. They will work and they'll enjoy it. It's your life's work. You're like, hey, man, you're spending eight, ten hours a day doing this. Let's have fun. Let's, you know, let's build friendships, man. Let's, you know, uh, don't just show up to work, turn your brain off, and trudge through life until you die. Well, for me, I've I've always been uh, happy doing whatever I do, regardless if it's washing dishes when I was a little kid, uh, all the way up to to organizing uh, a large event or whatever. So, I'm, and I think a lot of people misinterpret the thing having fun. Having fun is not goofing off. Having fun is having a meaningful uh, experience and doing something to the best of your ability and not worrying about failure and all those things. Yeah, uh, f- fulfillment. And that's, that's where the most, in, it, 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 I think, in, in, in being happy in your life, you know, you have those pleasures and enjoyments, but fulfillment is one of those things. And fulfillment means really giving yourself and doing as best you can. I love it. It, it does. And being with other people. So I, I, I try to preach this to people. You know, you can, no matter what you're doing, they're like, well, go follow your dreams. Well, not necessarily, you know, you know, follow your path, do what you're passionate about. It's often said, but you know, not many people are actually passionate about sitting in a cubicle doing accounting. But I tell them the opposite. I'm like, no, no, no. People have misled you. We can't all be Picassos and can't paint the Mona Lisa and save the whales. So, be passionate about what you do <laughs> is more important than following your passions. I mean, have some passion, sure, but you're going to do a job, and you're in a cubicle doing what you're doing. You're not painting Mona Lisa. So be passionate about it. Find your enjoyment right there. Yeah, I, 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 but I think my biggest uh, teaching when I lived in Japan was um, everybody in that country, no matter what they do, is in the moment and they're doing it to the best of their ability and it makes for an amazing society. It makes for amazing society, especially when you go to sushi places. You're like, man, look how <laughs> much effort they spend on those you know, little trees and stuff. <laughs> well, well, exactly. Or you watch the guy clean up the dishes and how much yeah. effort and focus he's got on that. And that goes... It's a ritual. Exactly. Isn't that very similar to the way that uh, you're trained as, as a Navy SEAL is everything is almost like a ritual, like you clean your gun? Oh, it is. I mean, it, it, it's how we build leadership, how we build te- teamwork, it's how we build prioritization. Everything's done in ritual. You know, before we go into battle, it's almost like a samurai. You know, you have your equipment laid out and you put everything on exactly the same way every single time. And it's kind of, you know, it's peaceful doing it, plus you don't miss anything. <laughs> because I've seen, I've worked, you know, done some uh, interoperability, uh, interops with some conventional forces like Army and stuff. And I've actually got, right before we're going on a mission, I, I've actually stopped the guy and go, hey, dude, go get your gun. What? <laughs> I know, sounds silly, but he's so scared. I'm like, go get your gun. He's like, oh, shit, crap. Well, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things um, that, 
everybody deals with is uh, fear or anxiety. And if you're fearful or have any anxiety, your brain shuts off and you can't see anything anymore. And, and you know, my, my teenage daughter drives me nuts. She'll run out of the house like, oh, I'm late for school. She'll run out of the house. And three minutes later, she'll run back in. I forgot something. And she'll run out of the house. And two minutes later, she'll run back in. I forgot something. If she had spent like one minute just getting in focus and calming down and just looking, she would remember all her things or pack the night before when she was more conscious, one of the two. Yep, well, that's exactly right. Fear is a god-awful thing. It shuts down that frontal lobe, and once it does, that's your executive part of your brain. So it, it, we build rituals around that, just, and we constantly plan. We never let guys sit around much. Do you find that uh, planning and, and, and training kind of builds in muscle memory and in day-to-day activity like you go to the office you do this this and this you're not doing it unconsciously you're doing it to the best of your ability but every day you should get better and faster at doing what you do yeah that's i mean that's built in our training i mean we train for instance you've seen the movie read the book lone survivor probably okay most people have um those guys which i trained uh, those guys were the movie was a good example of wow that's a really violent fight but that movie was a good representation of how we train every block of training we do at the end of it we give you know the seal team before they train before they deploy the most god awful possible mission they can do they get over they get overrun explosions are going off people are shooting from all sides basically it's a no win situation but we always make them win we always push them through to the wind, even if they have to throw rocks at the bad, you know, the opposing forces. So we never, ever lay down and die. That's never a practice in the SEAL teams. It's fight, fight, fight. And obviously we know in real life you're going to die eventually. But that mindset is you're going to win every evolution. We never let them lose in training. We let them fail. But that, that you can see that in the movie. They just couldn't, could, can, couldn't kill them hardly because they – They'd been conditioned, like, I've already seen this in training. So we want training to be harder than combat. Yeah, so it, it pales in comparison. Well, maybe not pales, but say, oh, I've done worse than this. This isn't so bad. Right, you've already seen it. It's not your first rodeo. It's in your mind. You go, okay, things are blowing up. People are shooting at me. I'm hurt. Well, part of the win is also, if you're in business, a win is not giving up. A win isn't quitting. A win is not shutting down your company. Because as soon as you do all those things, that's it. It's over. That then you're going to work for somebody else, or you're going to be, you're going to be uh, homeless. One of the two. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> In chapter sixteen, you you use uh, the title "Leading at the Speed of War," and then you have a great quote from Lee Iacocca. I've always found that the speed of the boss is the speed of the team. But as a leader, um, how does one increase their speed? It's a difficult process, but it does start with the leadership, the first, the, the, the brand of a leader, the selflessness, you know, the mission, the men. And the people under you have to understand that you are looking for the mission and you're looking for the, you're after the people and then yourself last, that selfless leadership. Um, you build the trust in the teams and it's, you know, you can only lead as fast as trust. And I was debating over, you know, leading the speed of war, but only it was going to be leading at the speed of trust. So you trust the people that have earned it. And now that means instead of the bureaucracies that most organizations develop, the larger they get, especially when they say get over about 100, 
they start to have a lot of bureaucratic processes built in. It just slows the mechanisms down, right? A lot of regulations, a lot of rules. Um, we lead opposite. We lead with, with trust. We can't trust someone. We will get rid of them. But we lead with that trust. Everyone underneath the leaders understand that they are doing it selflessly. They're not personally gaining. They're not making $40 million a year while the company's flopping. You know. And then we push down the authority and responsibility to the bottom level as far as we can because they make decisions, and they make the quickest, best decisions they can. It's probably good enough solutions to move this, you know, to, for us to move forward in, in our fight. And organizations that have that bureaucratic process, that just the, the machine itself eats up most of the energy of the company. Yeah, it, it's 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 actually it's one of the the things I learned at an early age is that if you want to compete against a large organization, all you have to do is move faster than them, and they can't do anything because of the bureaucracy. They cannot compete with you. They can only buy you out. That's their only strategy. Right, they got money, they got pockets, but they can't move. And that's that's what we had, and that that's one of the stories I was you know with the uh, Van Ripper that I put in there early on before um, we started the Iraq War. That we had that you know 250 million dollar exercise, and that was one of the things. Is American military has grown up in the Cold War, where you know the generals and admirals on top made every decision. It was a no-fail type military. I mean, we were really awful prior to 9/11. You know, it was just that we were promoting people that were good at bake sales and you know <laughs> civil service work. You know, I mean that's that's the god honest truth. And once the war kicked off, we realized, hmm, we need war fighters. We need people that can take risks because a lot of, in the very first couple of years of the war, nobody wanted to take any risks because that means you get fired. But you got to take risks. You got to have the right people in the right organization. So I think our, our leadership style from 2001 to right now has flipped upside down. Things that like 20, 25 year old kids or SEALs are doing today, generals would have had to side on 15 years ago. Well, it's that accountability thing. If you trust your people and they have good accountability, why can't they be making those decisions so the general could be working on something way more important? I wanted to ask you, you know, you putting this book together and, and all your years as a, a Navy SEAL, um, what was your aha moment where something that you knew was a reality truly crystallized for you and you understood? Um, the implications for the for the business. My aha moment, and I just figured this out, and I've probably done ten speeches on it. My aha moment was uh, one time I was I go through the story kind of quick. I was promoted special promotion first seal in history to be what's called spot promoted for combat position. And I just came back from a, a task force black, which was we were hunting Bin Laden and Al Zakawi. So I was junior, but they needed certain people with certain skills. So they promoted me. One week later, I'm standing in Virginia Beach, and like, hey, here's your new rank. Congratulations. And I had uh, a very big unit. I was going to be the ground force commander and the, for the Battle of Ramadi. I don't know if you remember that in 2005 and six, But it was the biggest fight since Fallujah. We knew it was going to be massive. So I remember, you know, I was petrified. I loved it at first, but I realized these, these troops didn't know me. I didn't know them. I had to build most of the troops I met on the helipad when they showed up to Ramadi. So we, no one knew each other. Right off the bat, we had some missions. And 
the first night mission we did, we had some, uh, you know, these twin twin blade helicopters. So we're loading up them about seven minutes away from attacking a stronghold Al Qaeda position. And I was, you know, pretty much sick to my stomach as, you know, doubt myself and just, you know, worried, obviously, about getting killed, blown up, just like everyone does. But I plugged my headset into the helicopter's headset. And as I plugged it in, we're listening, we're checking down, and they call me Red Bull Actual, you know, because Actual means the commander, on the, the, the ground force commander. And he's Red, he's Red Bull Actual, uh, you have 24 souls on board. And it was kind of one of those moments. I've never heard that before. I used to hear, you know, they always say passengers, packs, seals, Sierras, whatever. But he said souls. And I'm like, damn. I felt the impact of what leadership meant. And I felt a sense of stewardship that I'd never, I, I'd, been, or I, I'd already had a, you know, master's degree in executive leadership, but I thought I knew a lot. I've been in SEAL teams 13 years. But that sense of stewardship was a blanket over me and I was you know not to be like some steely-eyed Navy SEAL but I had zero fear that night after that moment I, I just felt at peace you know and I was like wow that's that's what leadership is it's a sense of stewardship it's not about me it's about the mission and the men I'm gonna come and go but they're not so that really kind of hit me you know in a, in a way that was wow yeah so that was my aha moment. It's like fatherhood. That that penny doesn't drop right away, but uh, when it does, it's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah, wow, there it comes. So I, I try to pass that on to people, like, you know, the importance of, you know, what their role can be as a leader and how they can choose to be a leader and how fulfilling it will be, you know, once they get off their own damn ego and, you know, let it happen. So for our listening audience, what's one thing that they can do today uh, to become a better leader? Make a choice to do it. Make a choice to be a selfless leader. Put the mission and the people before yourself in every single action that you do. You're going to have to fight that ego, but it's a choice. Do you think you ever overcome an ego if you're an ego-driven person or you just learn to control it and, and uh, have a rein in on it? Well, like, yeah, you can never, you know, like I said in the book, if we didn't have an ego, you know, we, we'd be naked dancing in the hallways, but... Of course, you got to have an ego, but it's like an ex-wife, right? You, you divorce it, still stay in touch and friends, and she just doesn't run your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you got to have a certain amount of it, but you constantly have to base it, your decisions knowing that you have that ego because you're cause and effects driven. If you're a cause and effects driven leader, I want the result. I'll dress up like Mickey Mouse and dance in the streets. That means winning the mission. Well, it, it's and this word comes up again and again: mission, mission, mission. And I think for a lot of businesses, they don't really have a, a long-term goal and a short-term goal, and they certainly don't have a lot of. You know, when the Monday comes along, the guy should have a series of missions that he has to um, either assign to other people in the company or try and fulfill himself. Well, that's what I do for coaching. So anyone listening, edheiner.com coaching. Because coaching, most people are like, well, okay, give me your five goals. What are you going to do? How are you going to do them? No, I don't really have them. Like, I call it sticky note goals because I used to use sticky notes all over the place. So I'd, I'd walk into work. I had my sticky note from the next day, five things. That didn't matter if the building got blown up. I was getting those five things done. That was it. And you just have to chomp away at what's important. You just have, Whatever time it is, oh, I'm too busy. No, you're not. 
you got to make time for those five things. And that's it. Most of coaching is just getting people to actually say their goals, you know, make them specific and definable, and then build a path to get them done and hold them accountable. We've been talking with Brian Iron Ed Heiner. He is a Navy SEAL Lieutenant Commander, retired, and his book, First Fast Fearless, How to Lead Like a Navy SEAL, amazing book and some really, really, really good insights. So highly recommend you check it out. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. It was enjoyable. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash Business Book Talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.